0: Hey everyone, welcome to The Survival Show podcast. I'm David, the founder of Ultimate Survival Tips and your host for today's show. In this podcast, it is our job to take you step-by-step step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you need to survive almost any disaster, crisis, or adventure, or even life. And today, we have a special guest co-host, my dear friend, Mr. Ben Peterson. And you know, when Ben comes on, who knows what we're going to talk about, what we think we're going to talk about life and business and surviving the nine to five and all of that sort of kind of stuff. So I think this is going to be helpful for everybody. What do you think, brother? David, thanks for having me.
1: I love this stuff. You and I always, we do like a pre-show meeting for just a couple of minutes and we're like, what are we going to talk
0: about? And we come up with absolutely nothing
1: except one or two <laughs> words. But it works, man. I, I think you and I have a lot of similar life philosophies. And so we just get talking and it's it's always fun. So thank you, as always, for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: All right. So you got to do the thing. Oh, you know, know what the, the thing, thing is, right? So everybody knows who What you are. is
1: <laughs> up, guys? I'm Ben. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Ben. Ben Peterson. So... We get a lot of new folks watching from time to time, and so once you give us a little backstory on where you came from and what you're up to these days, and uh, you know why you're famous, why that <laughs> "What is Up, Guys?" thing is famous. I think I it's- don't know if it's famous. It's probably more
1: infamous than famous, but yeah so my name is ben i started out my career at blade hq an online knife retailer doing youtube marketing for them i ended up at crkt columbia River knife and tool up in oregon and that's where that's where i met david i think david came up to me at a trade show and he's like i'm david from ultimate survival tips and i'm like i'm ben and i have no idea who you are (laughs) but uh, we became really good friends and from there i ended up going back to blade hq as their marketing manager And uh, from there, I worked in corporate America for about three years until I took my business NAFs full time, which my wife and I run out of our garage right now. But we're moving to a building in like two weeks. We're getting it out of our garage, which I'm thrilled about. So I've mostly spent my career doing e-commerce and online marketing and a lot of pocket knives, tons of pocket knives. That's kind of what I have staked my claim in. So it's really fun.
0: Yeah. So about how long ago did you start your business? And I guess maybe this is a good time to say, if you have something on your heart to do, Ben's got a really nice roadmap on how to do it without mortgaging your house, asking everybody you know for a loan or doing something really ridiculous that you'll regret. So here's,
1: if you have a business idea, what you need to do is you go and buy a shovel, and you you dig a hole in your yard, and you bury it, and you you move on. I'm teasing. <laughs> Starting a business is very hard. So NAFS, I started it. I started it with my wife in 2018, late 2018, as a side hustle, and it was strictly a side hustle until last year, so 2022, and uh, we took it full time in May of last year, and we've grown to. What are we at? Four full-time employees, four part-time employees, all working in the garage. It's been really fun. And we're about to move out of the garage into a space and kind of take it to the next level uh, with an office and warehouse space. So I'm really excited about it. But yeah, businesses are crazy. Entrepreneurship is hard if you want to do it. Hang on. Did
0: you share how you started with a poster?
1: Yeah, I started with a knife poster, basically a 24 by 36 inch knife poster. I had this crazy idea to put everything I knew about pocket knives into one place and i spent like 100 hours in adobe illustrator designing this poster that was our first product i wasn't sure if it was going to be a brand or just a product i decided it would be a brand and we launched it and it did really well i think we made like 500 bucks off the first run but we learned a lot of good things and and now we're up to more than 200 different products on our website obviously colors and variations wow. and screws and everything but right yeah it's been a crazy wild ride a lot of fun
0: and moon handles. Yeah,
1: so I was a space camp kid. Were yeah, you? man.
0: I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I wondered where all that came from. Yeah,
1: so I went to space camp when I was like 11 or 12. And uh, all my friends at home, I didn't tell a soul. I was like, space camp is for nerdy kids. And I went to space camp and <laughs> it was actually really, really cool. But I went home, I didn't tell anyone I was going. I didn't tell anyone when I got back. Just because it was really nerdy in the early 2000s to go to space camp. I think now a lot of kids would be like, yeah, went to space camp. It was awesome. But even now, like I went to space camp and look at me. I'm just slinging pocket knives online, you know,
0: (laughs) big (laughs) dreams.
1: No, but yeah, we do a whole bunch of space stuff with with NAFs. Just there's a lot of Creative Commons imagery from NASA that's open source. And so it makes it really easy to use in our marketing. Mm. And it's something that I get a real kick out of. I love I love adventures, and I feel like space is like the ultimate adventure. Like, you probably could die on the way there. You may never make it home, but if you do, like, what a cool story to tell. I don't know that I have that much risk tolerance, but the idea of it is fantastic.
0: Right. So, I think that I think the thing that's most intriguing about your story is, and we won't get too deep in the weeds on it, but you started with a poster. And your objective, you had goals as you went, and you took whatever little profits you had from that poster, and then you rolled them back into something else, and then you would roll them back into something else, right? Is that correct?
1: Yeah, yep. And so after the poster, I designed a pocket knife with we and Civivi, uh, and that was a, a really good gig. And frankly, like, being able to take my business full time was in part because of that royalty situation with them, being able to sell the pocket knives, and then... Like you said, just dump that back into it. It actually got to the point where my wife and I could just live on the royalties and not have to run a business. Mm -hmm. My whole thought process is like, I want to give people jobs. Like I want to create value. I don't want to just like bring it in and hold on to it. I want to create value in the world. And I feel like dumping those profits back into the business to be able to hire people and create processes and things is really good. But there are days when I'm like, dang, those royalties sure look... (laughs) Looks like an easy way to make money, you know? So it's... But I, I think that, like you said, being able to dump it back in and, and create from there is, is a big part of what I'm trying to do.
0: That's good. We need to talk about two things now. One, knife royalties. Should I actually be making my own line of knives or should I be making them for someone else? Or should I be doing both? And uh, mass distribution, both of which you're you're knocking it out of the park, dude. Thanks. You're doing really well. I'm tracking, tracking with Thanks. you. And... Can we talk about it now? Or should we talk about what we're going to talk about? I was going to talk about your Kickstarter. Let's do it.
1: Since we've got the video medium for some of these folks, if you're watching, this is the Lander 2 with a clutch lock on it in S35VN steel. It has fast swap scales, so you can swap them on the go. The scales are open source, so you can print your own, make your own, sell your own, I don't care. So we launched this on Kickstarter two weeks ago, and we have raised over
0: $100,000. (laughs) $100,717.
1: Yeah, from 700 different backers, which is pretty amazing. That's crazy, dude. Thanks. With 16 days to go. Yeah, it's really cool. Like I was just talking to a friend about Kickstarter, and this is our third Kickstarter. And every time you do one and you fulfill and you, you make people's day with it, It compounds, it rolls out. On the next one, things become a little bit easier and a little bit easier. And um, yeah, this one's done
0: really well. It's like a social network. People don't realize you're you're actually building a following.
1: And it's funny you say that because I tell people, yeah, we launched on Kickstarter. They're like, well, is that like free money? Like, how does that work? And it's like, no, this is like a pre-order hype platform, right? Because do I need Kickstarter at this point? Eh, probably not. It's nice to have that cash up front so that I can hold on to the other cash in the business on a business level. But it's like giving people the opportunity to be part of something on the ground level. And that's the thing I love about it is it is a social network. There's comments and likes and all of that good stuff. But people are getting involved in the nuts and bolts of your business. And you you have to tell them the story of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And it's a really, really fun platform.
0: Nice. Well, you're doing amazing. Thanks. and Yeah, we'll try to get this podcast to people so they can participate before it's over. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) the reality, and this is the fun part.
1: Like some people just do Kickstarters to do Kickstarters. Like to me, it's this really cool opportunity to launch a product in a way that is really engaging and informative. And then when it comes out in October... People already know about it, right? Like you just, you've got 700 friends that now have your your knife in their pocket and they're ready to start talking about it to a bigger audience. And it's the snowball effect, which I think is fun marketing.
0: Yep, No, it's really great. Our first two major products we launched on Kickstarter. And then I just got into this. I don't want to say it was a rut, but I was like, oh, I can just create, man. So I just started creating all this stuff, kits and more knives and everything, and I skipped Kickstarter. And now I'm looking back and saying, I really need to get back to that. So we've got dude i've got like six new knives working on with you know who i do i do do you know what's (laughs) funny david
1: is let's see three years ago when i was working on the original kickstarter for my little titanium ruler i called you and i'm like david tell me everything you know about kickstarter and i think you gave me an hour of your time and, and basically taught me what you had done on kickstarter and It was a huge boost for what I was doing. And in reality, I think everybody who's going to try to do a Kickstarter ought to have some mentor, somebody they're talking to, to be able to Mm -hmm. just understand it. Because it's, it's almost like if you spend any time on Reddit, there's a certain culture, there's a certain group of people that live there. And it's like, if you walk into their house and Mm -hmm. you don't speak the language correctly, they're gonna be like, oh, thanks for stopping by, now go away. Same thing on Kickstarter. You have to be able to understand the platform and speak that language before you dive in and get a a campaign. So I always tell people to go and back like two or three campaigns, spend 200 bucks or whatever, just so that you can see what other creators are doing on the platform. There's definitely a culture within the Kickstarter community.
0: And it's really helpful too if you have any inclinations towards any kind of product or creative project development. I highly recommend Kickstarter, but it's important to be on the back end of that too, to actually be a backer and to see how that whole process works. Because I've been on there recently and you can do a lot more with Kickstarter. Are you going to still use BackerKit? No. You don't have to now.
1: Well, I don't think you had to then either. So that was one thing David recommended to me when I did my first Kickstarter is use backer kit for fulfillment. Well, what I realized is Backerkit's gonna take a percentage. I think they take 5% to do fulfillment with them. And it's actually really easy. And Kickstarter takes 5%, 5, 6, yeah. A percentage and everybody takes a percentage. Everybody, yeah, yeah, everybody will eat into your margins. But (laughs) what I realized with Backerkit is you don't need it. So what I do instead, I'm gonna get into the technical weeds. If you're not interested, tune out, if you're listening at home, but. We'll be back on some practical life (laughs) and business
0: scaling stuff here. And So (laughs) what I do
1: is I send out the surveys via Kickstarter. I take that survey, I download all of them in a bulk format, and then I just take it into Excel and format it to Shopify. And once I format it to Shopify, I import those into Shopify, and then I ship via Shopify, which is our, our typical yeah. day-to-day system. So basically, you're taking a Kickstarter system that's kind of a mess over here and exporting it into our everyday, and that makes it easier for us.
0: Right. Yeah, one reason we used that too was you weren't able to do Kind of like custom packages, but now you can do that in Kickstarter too. Yeah, so that's good. That's great, Ben. Hey, congratulations again on the Kickstarter. Uh, if you want you guys want to find it, we'll give you another shout out, Ben, at the end. But it's the NAFS, K N A F S, Lander 2 pocket knife. The NAFS Lander 1 is a smaller version. This is a larger version. What does what NAFS mean? <laughs> have I asked you that before? I don't, I don't know think if I've you asked ever
1: that. have. So NAFS is colloquial way, kind of a Southern way to say knives or knives. Uh, It was interesting because I was looking for a name for my company and the hashtag NAFs had been used on Instagram for years. And I was like, does anybody own NAFs.com? Totally open URL, totally open trademark. And so I bought the URL for $12. I paid for the trademark and I was like five letters in 2018 for $12. I'll take it. So I planted our flag there. It's like a goofy name. It's pretty memorable. And we own it, which is great.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. nice. All right, dude. So what do you want to talk about now? We were talking about scaling your business, scaling your life, keeping things in balance. Yeah, I think that's important, whether you have your own business, whether you work for somebody else, whether you're a student. Since you're the uh, executive <laughs> co-host, take it away, man. So,
1: David, you and I were talking about... Well, you have been texting me probably the last three or four months on scaling a business. How does it work? How does it not work? Because
0: I've been terrible yeah. at it. <laughs> well, and
1: I, I feel like I've been terrible at it too, because my philosophy as a business owner, and I think I do this in my life too, outside of business is I get to like 110, 115% of capacity. So I'm over capacity, right? And then I kind of have like, not an emotional breakdown, but like I can feel that my life is falling apart emotionally. So like I'm not exercising mm. mm-hmm. as much. I'm eating my feelings. I'm... <laughs> doing all of these negative things that I shouldn't be doing. And that's when I realized, oh, I'm at 115% of capacity. I have to make a change. Now I've done the same thing in my business too. And it's super unhealthy as a business owner because you're pushing yourself past what you actually have time to do. So like if I'm at 115% with Uh my business, well, now I'm stealing from my family. I'm stealing from church, I'm stealing from service and these different things that are actually more important to me than my business. And so over the past like three months, and my wife is part of this too, Athena, she is the, the co-owner of NAFs. We've been trying to figure out how do we buy our time back? How do we stop spending 115% of our time and do things that we enjoy? Like we like to go hiking as a family. We like to go camping. We went camping for the first time in like 2 years this past weekend. And I was like, this is good. This is what we want to be doing, but we find ourselves working on our business. And I think what I want to talk about today is how do you get your life in check to where you're not allowing these things that are less important to take control of your life. And we talked about this a little bit in January since then I've done a terrible mm-hmm. job at it. And <laughs> it's a recalibration process throughout, but I guess my question for you, David, to kind of start the conversation is how do you make sure that you are doing the most important things first and you're not letting the least important things take control of your time?
0: You're not going to believe what I was just writing down. I was just writing down, do the most important thing first, yeah. yep. right? It's actually just being aware of like, what, what is the most important thing today? Like I've been telling Karen, I can do one thing a day, like as far as business, I can do one thing good. And, you know, there's, there's a multitude of things that come into your day. And so I've been trying to focus on like, what is that one thing that I need to get done today? Yes, I know there's going to be a multitude of, of other things that are going to come in. You know, my accountant's going to say, hey, I still need this. And, you know, we have a, new organic farm. My son's going to say, hey, I need you to go drive a tractor for two hours (laughs) or whatever it is. But what's the most important thing? So I think the first thing is just acknowledging that there are things that are most important, more important than other things. Yeah. So you have to sit down. And I think this just takes some self-awareness and self-evaluation. You know, it's like the old adage is nobody on their deathbed wishes that they worked more. So, you know, if you have a wife... And kids, wife and kids are important. If you're a spiritual person, obviously your relationship with God is super important because, especially for me, the truth of the Bible grounds me to the most important things of life. And then my wife really grounds me to the important things in our shared lives. So, I really kind of cue off of like the Bible in particular. I cue off of of my wife, and IQ off of the relationships that I have, and, and then in the midst of the work environment, then I have something called the five critical S's. The last one is serve. I've got to be able to serve my family, serve my church, serve my employees, and my customers well, and I can't do that if I'm overtorked you know, 115, 120%, you can't squeeze more than 24 hours out of yourself. And honestly, you can't squeeze more than 12 hours out of a workday, even just occasionally, because then you're just completely out of balance. Yeah. So,
1: so one thing that I've been thinking a lot about is there is no balance. There's just imbalance managed. So like, Uh, it's this idea that like, (laughs) like if I'm at work, inherently i'm neglecting my kids right like not neglecting but i'm taking care of them in a way that i am not going to sit down and play checkers with you at one in the afternoon because i am working right Mm. in a perfect world i would play eight hours of checkers with my daughter and i would do eight hours of work right like that is balance but that's Uh fake news like you can't do that right like you can't have eight hours of checkers to match your eight hours of work right But when my daughter comes to me in the morning at 8 a.m., all of these eights, 8 a.m. and she says, Dad, I want to play checkers. And I'm like, well, I was about to go to work, but I can play checkers for 10, 15 minutes before I go to work at 8.30. Perfect. So instead of answering emails on my phone, I put my phone away and I play checkers this morning. And that to me is like, is that actual balance? No, because balance would be an equitable time for my daughter and for work. But being able to say right now, I am playing checkers with my daughter, i am not working that's really important so I've thought a lot about that because as a business owner with a young family like I just get rocked man like it is really really hard especially working at home there are times when my daughter my youngest will come out and she'll be like dad it's time to play and it's like well I'm actually in a business meeting with these employees that work in my garage (laughs) and I need you to go inside right If you think you can do it all and you can do it all at once, the reality is you're probably going to get overstretched and you're going to neglect something. And so I've just tried to, if I'm with my family, I try to be with my family and I'm not perfect at it. Uh, If I'm at work, I try to be at work.
0: That's hard. That's hard though. Yeah. Because you're not at work. You're at home. Yeah. It's the same way here. I mean, I'm in the gear cave right now, but this is in my basement and I'm looking at our warehouse. And my office is upstairs in the house and it's different. A lot of people do it. I would say it's not a healthy long-term solution, at least for me personally, because
1: I trend toward workaholic. And if I'm in the space with my work, I tend to work. And so like I walk out in the garage, like probably like your warehouse, David, you can look at your warehouse and be like, oh man, that's in the wrong place. That's wrong. This is wrong. Like you just see things and your brain never shuts off. And so I'm actually really really excited to get the business out of our house because I think it will help create mental separation between the two things in a healthy Mm, way. mm
0: -hmm. We are past the kids stage. Our children are adult children, and we have six grandkids. Believe it or not, awesome. Karen especially, she does this thing where at least one grandkid a week comes over and has a nana day. Well, since I slightly broke my leg really bad, my office is actually in the living room. And... And she'll go, hey, grandchild X is coming over. And I'll be like, oh. And she's like, what's that for? And I'm like, they're more important than my work. And this one's going to ask me to read her a story. And that one's going to say, Poppy, that's my grandfather's name, Poppy, can we carve? I've been teaching one of them to carve. So we're progressing through knives, right? And the other one's going to want to play checkers. Speaking of checkers. And so, my whole point here is this balance thing. I think you're onto something. We think that like there's this soaring in flight that we're going to reach. Like it's just going to be total equilibrium. And, you know, what I've been trying to do when the grandkids are here is that exact same thing. Like we can do this for 15 or 20 minutes and it ends up just taking my whole morning. Right. But is that the most important thing? That's the most important thing. What that ends up doing is it ends up backing up my schedule. It ends up causing me to roll things over into the next day or the next three days or whatever. But I think you just have to hone in on what the most important thing is. And the most important thing
1: right now, right? Like if you spend all day with your grandkids and you never work, well... Now when your grandkids come over, like, you don't have snacks for them because you can't afford the snacks, right? Like,
0: Right, (laughs) right, right. right, right. They often hear, Poppy has to be responsible right now and do his job.
1: I think sometimes as, as humans, we beat ourselves up because we're like, this is not totally balanced. And I think that's the difference, right? Like, if you are never stopping to play with your grandkids or never stopping to play with your kids, that's where you're missing out on that opportunity to get to know them and be part of their lives. But at the same time, there has to be a balance within all of that. And it's hard, man. I struggle to do it.
0: I heard some research where it was seven minutes. That's what it was. So taking seven minute breaks. And again, this was some sort of research. I don't remember where it came from, but it was another podcast I had listened to and this person was self-employed and doing very successful And so they would take seven-minute breaks because they had a young family like you, and they would do something for seven minutes, and that was seven to ten minutes, and that was a significant amount enough time for their wife, for their kids, for visitors who feel like they care. And then they were able to go ahead and, and, you know, if they did that maybe twice a day. I thought that was was brilliant, actually. But I actually like playing chess more than I like working, So sometimes seven minutes ends up being like, you know, three or four games of chess. I love it.
1: I love it. Stephen Covey in one of his books, he's your seven habits of highly effective people guy. He talks about rocks. And the idea is that the rocks are the things that are most important, right? Like if you have a basin jar, you've got five rocks and you got sand and you got water and you got all these things that have to go in the jar. Well, if you put the rocks in first and then you put the sand in, the sand will work itself around the rocks. So we, we've actually adopted, within our business, we've adopted a, what would I call it, a business system called Traction. It's Entrepreneurial Operating System, and it talks about these rocks. And it's been really interesting. This is the first quarter we've done it. And at the beginning of the quarter, you sit down and you create your rocks. It's basically like five to seven things that as a team you're going to accomplish this quarter, and you review it as a team every single week. And it's been really, really good. We actually have hit like, Six out of seven of the rocks that we set for the quarter. One of them, we're not going to be able to finish by the end of June, just out of logistical things that happen with it. But it's been really cool. I think I'm trying to better do that in my personal life too, because if I can put my kids first, if I can put my these other things that are important to me first, the other things will kind of slide into place or they fall off. And at the end of the day, if it falls off long enough, it truly wasn't that important to you. I make these to-do lists not every day, but I make a running to-do list. And there are times when I rewrite the list and some things I just like, yoink, like they're gone. Like they're never going to get done. And I've clearly Mm -hmm. Mm deprioritized them out of my life. And I think that's okay too.
0: So this traction system that you're talking about, this is new to me. You mentioned it right before the podcast. So it sounds like something you could actually utilize in your everyday life too, right? Can you dig just a little bit deeper? Yeah,
1: definitely geared toward business, but I think business and life are similar. So like Traction makes you sit down and say, what are your core values as a company? I think if you do that as an individual, too, that's going to be huge, right? And help you
0: figure out what the most important thing is, right? Correct. Within the system, you're setting up a three-year picture,
1: a five-year goal, and then a 10-year. I forget the exact language, but you're basically setting three, five, and 10. And then on a yearly level, you're setting that up, too. And then quarterly, you're looking at it and saying, what are the most important things to get to this three-year, five-year, 10-year goal? And it's pretty dang cool. I had associated with like two or three businesses that had used it previously. And I was like, "Eh, this stuff is for losers that don't have any vision. And then as I've run my own business, I'm like, (laughs) oh, no, this is for people who have let their business overtake their life. And that's exactly what I've done so much into it that I'm like, Mm -hmm. I must be pushing. I must be pushing. But I think that's how things happen is like they creep up on you, right? Like as soon as you start saying yes to one thing, it's easier to say yes to others. And sometimes you have to build a fence around your time and say like, no, this is my time. This is what I'm doing. This is how I'm doing it. And you have to say no to a lot more things. And I think for me as a business owner, somebody comes to me and they're like, Hey, let's do a collaboration. David, you have been the king of this, and I have been the king of saying no, not because I
0: don't like you. You have said no a lot of times. I have. Yeah. And I respect yeah, that. And, and that's
1: not because I don't like you, but because everything I say yes to is saying no to potentially other things that are more important.
0: Right. Let's look at the pie. So you've got the whole pie or you've got 100% of your time taken up and somebody from church says, hey, can you do this? Or somebody from your community says, hey, can you do that? How do you fit that in when you're already filled up? You got to take something out, you right? Do. I mean, if something takes 5%, then you've got to say yes to something new. You've got to say no to something that's on your plate, oh, absolutely. right? absolutely.
1: We talked about this last time. There's this book called Essentialism, and he actually walks you through how to say no to things in a very tactful way. So if it's your boss and your boss says to you, hey, I need this done by Thursday at 3 p.m. and it's Wednesday at 5 30, right? You can say to your boss, you say, look, I can do that for you. I'd be happy to do that for you. What other things on my list of things to do that I am currently working on, do you want to deprioritize? And you make the boss decide that. You basically say, look, that gives me six hours to finish it. I have six hours of other work. What would you like me to deprioritize? And that's basically shoving it back on the boss and saying, okay, cool, I'm happy to do that, but you've given me other things as well. What's less important? And I think that you have to do the same thing in your own life. In fact, my wife and I, we said yes to a church camping trip where we're kind of like camp counselors. We probably should have said no to it. Just phase of life, small kids, all the things. If I could go back to that moment where they asked us to do it, I would say, you know, we really want to do this. Right now in this phase of life, we have four kids. We're already going on a different church camping trip. And so while we'd love to do this, Right now, we just do not have the time, and and unfortunately, we have to say no. And as humans, it's uncomfortable to say no. Like, I'm a people pleaser. I'm like, yeah, I'd love Mm -hmm. to do that. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of times we say yes to our own detriment, and knowing when to say no is really, really important.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's absolutely key. This whole essentialism thing, even from talking on our last podcast, we have a Friday morning, we call it the breakfast boys with a Z at the end. And a bunch of us get together and we just encourage each other and pray for each other and all that sort of kind of stuff. And there's a couple guys that are younger and man, they were just saying yes to everything. And I just, I just saw them like the life being sucked out of them. So this one fella Russell is very sweet. He came last Friday and he's like, oh, you guys are going to be proud of me. I said, no. (laughs) And, you know, just you got to do it. You only have so much time and you have to know what the most important things are.
1: Do you remember Joel Bornzen at uh, CRKT? Yeah.
0: So Joel was
1: my manager at CRKT when I worked at the knife company up there. And Joel, a couple of times I would get too much going on and he would say, are you crying, uncle? (laughs) And I'm like, yes, I'm crying, uncle. (laughs) I don't remember what he said next, but sort of adopted this philosophy that it is okay to cry uncle, especially in business.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: At work, if you're overloaded and you're doing your very best and the expectations are too high or the workload is too much, one thing we've adopted at NAFs with our employees is I tell them it's okay to cry uncle because you're basically coming back to me as the boss and saying, I have too much to do. I can't deal with this. So I always think about that with. I had some older cousins that would like pin us down and tickle us. They'd be like, you got to cry uncle, cry uncle. I'm not going to stop till you cry uncle. And you say uncle and they stop tickling you. Well, I think sometimes life does that to us where like life has pinned us down with all these tasks and we just need to cry uncle and be like, Mm. I can't Mm -hmm. do this much and still be okay mentally. And I think our human nature doesn't want to cry uncle. You can do that with kids. Like I'll do that with my kids sometimes. Like You got to cry uncle. And like, they'll sit there and get tortured by tickling for like five minutes before they cry (laughs) uncle. And I think that's just baked into our human nature of like, man, we want to just do really good work and we really want to perform. Most people, some know, right? But I think it's okay in life to cry uncle and then reprioritize. So it's good.